If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 519 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. As always, thanks so much for listening. This week is a special one here at the podcast as we welcome back accomplished author and creator Greg Hurwitz. He's got a new book called Knighted that's coming from AWA Studios, and it's described this way. Bob Ryder is a hapless bureaucrat whose bad luck streak now comes to a crescendo when he accidentally kills the city's mask vigilante, the knight. Oops. Now Bob is forced to take on the mantle of the legendary hero before the city descends into chaos. Good thing he's got the knight's former butler assistant to show him the ropes. The third issue has just come out, and I really love this adventure series. So we talk about that as well as his upcoming novel, Dark Horse, and other things. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy what he has to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. It's great to welcome back to the podcast, accomplished writer Greg Hurwitz. Uh, how are you doing, Greg? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. I'm going to really quickly read your short bio on your greghurwitz.net website because I think it's got a lot of good points in there that, that we want to touch on. It says, Greg Hurwitz is the New York Times number one internationally best-selling author of 23 thrillers, including the Orphan X series. His novels have won numerous literary awards and have been have been published in 33 languages. Uh, you've written poetry, screenplays, and television scripts for major studios and networks, comics for AWA, which we're going to talk a lot about, DC, which was, of course, Batman, and Marvel, uh, which was Wolverine, and political and culture pieces for the Wall Street Journal and several other places. <laughs> and I like this. This is Greg lives with his Rhodesian Ridgebacks in Los Angeles, where he continues to play soccer, frequently injuring himself. <laughs> All true. All guilty as charged. Still, what was the last injury you had playing soccer? Mm, my last really bad one was I broke my collarbone. Ah. Yeah, uh, that's no fun at all. I don't recommend that. No, I wouldn't. And yet you, you must love it to keep playing it. I do. I do. I, you know, it's like it's funny because as I get older, uh, you know, I can't. It's funny because my muscle memory is to go harder than it makes any sense for my body to go. So I'm, I'm constantly having a negotiation between, you know, newly acquired some version of maturity and the idiocy of youth. It's a constant negotiation between those two. I don't know. My, that debate is long over in my body. I have to. <laughs> I've lost that argument. <laughs> So I'm just kind of curious because I, it's something really important we need to talk about because this being a comic podcast, I don't really get into the, the novels very often on here. But you have a new one coming out, right? Yeah, I have a new orphan. My series is called Orphan X, and mm-hmm. he's a, a kind of vigilante pro bono 
assassin who, you know, was taken out of a foster home at the age of 12. He was trained up to commit international assassinations where the U.S. couldn't have a footprint. And before I open the series, he's already kind of left. He's gone on the run from the program Mm -hmm. and he commits assassinations for people in desperate need. They call him on his phone number that's untraceable, 1855 to nowhere, which anyone of you can call. And basically he picks up the phone and there's a new mission and off he goes. And the, the, I have a new book in the series called dark horse that comes out February 8th. Mm-hmm. So not far away. So we're going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to catch up on all those good things before the, the new one comes out because uh, believe it or not, people buy more novels and comics. Yeah. So we need well, to make sure I hope you that. enjoy them. Uh, I will. I've read several of your books. It's been a little while. Unfortunately, when you're making podcasts and doing other stuff, I don't get a chance to read as much as I used to, but uh, I, I enjoyed very much the ones that I did read. So, Well, thank you. Good. So uh, it's called Dark Horse. It's not related to the comic company. Like that. So I think that's uh, something we can rule right out right away. Um, so let's talk about your current book, which is called Knighted with the, the silent K on it. it. At first, when I saw that title, I thought this must be a King Arthur type book, but it's not. It's a uh, it's called the, the, the uh, a superhero for the modern era or something very similar to that. Do you want to talk about what Knighted is about? Well, I had this idea scratching at the base of my brainstem for, I don't know, 10 years now. Uh, And it was sort of to combine my two favorite characters in comics, probably. My favorite, you know, real identity is Peter Parker, who, you know, I read all the early stuff, the Stan Lee. I just found him the most relatable, dealing with everything in the real world. He's a nice guy. He's a bit of a smart ass, but you can count on him. You get his, his moral compass. And I always found him the most relatable. But the superhero who I always wanted to be was Batman. And what I loved about Batman, you know, was just the discipline, the darkness, the brooding and the peak of human excellence in every regard from spiritual to psychological, emotional, physical tech. And so for a long time, I had this notion of thinking, well, what if what if somebody with a personality not unlike Peter Parker accidentally killed the resident superhero of a city, in this case called the Knight? And then events conspire that he is forced to fill the shoes uh, of the night. And so my character is a guy called Robert Ryder. He goes by Bob. He's a very, very nice guy. He's a kind man. Uh, He works as a a civilian crime analyst in a police station populated with quote unquote real cops, you know, who kind of make fun of him. They look down on him. The opening of the first comic is him down on one knee proposing to his longtime girlfriend. And the first word in the comic is her saying, no. Um, and, you know, she likes him, but she wants a better version of him. She wants something with more edge. So he's he's sort of this, this you know, nice guy's finished last character who's bumping along. And, you know, he intervenes um, at a point in the first issue and inadvertently kills the knight. And nobody knows about it but him. He picks up the body, tumbles into the knight rig, the knight mobile. And is whisked off to, you know, uh, a manor on the far edges of town where awaiting him is uh, a butler who is much less like um, Michael Caine and much more like Bernie Mac. Uh, And they realize that if the night goes out of circulation, the city's going to tear itself apart. So does Bob have what it takes to fill the boots and to fill the cowl? And that's the central premise of the comic. Mm-hmm. It's it's great fun. I do have to say it's uh, you know there, there are elements of Batman in it, and there are elements of other characters in it. I think that's what makes it fun is the balance that you strike between them, and to make it something really interesting. I, I I'm amazed at how or what good shape he's in, even though he's been something of a he hasn't been a, a superhero or anything like that. Did he work out and stuff before? Uh, you know, somewhat, but he's kind of an average guy, but the suit, you know, has powers of its own. He's got a lot of tech on his side. Um, and as it progresses, he's going to, we're going to see him try and get himself in a better shape, but you mm. know, I don't think he's ever going to wind up in Bruce Wayne shape. Mm. Okay. I, I love the, the, I, I'm a Batmobile guy. So right away I was uh, attracted to the, the night rig as they call it. And I really like that a lot. Well, now, now, as far as like design of say the night rig and his costume and stuff uh you work with mark texiera and how did that come did you work with him as far as designing these characters and what they looked like 
Yeah, I mean, I had a notion which I described. You know, I'm a big admirer of Tex's work going back to his ghostwriter run, which, you know, is my probably my favorite art in ghostwriter. I just thought he was tremendous. And what we wanted was a big knockdown classic, you know, big two superstar artist who can build a world, who can capture action, who understands superheroes, who gets the frames, who understands the storytelling, but also somebody who could communicate a lot of humor. Um, and he's done a wonderful job. And you'll see as the series progresses that he manages to kind of walk that line with deafness because we need it to be, you know, riveting and and badass. Like we need the pacing, we need the drive, we need the tension, we need the lethality. But there's a real human and comedic element. So we had to get into characters and faces and a lot of that stuff. Um, and Teixeira was invaluable when it came to designing the suit. I had a bunch of recommendations. We went back and forth. Um, and a lot of the design that he worked on, you know, he did uh, – you know, he's amazing. That's what he lives, breathes and eats. And so, you know, I'm always happy to defer, especially when you have an artist of, of Mark's caliber, because he just makes, you know, whatever he does just makes me look like I'm a better writer than I am. And so, you know, it's a collaboration where the bar just gets raised and raised. He'd worked with uh, Axel Alonzo, who's the chief creative officer at AWA, uh, you know, back in Marvel days. And so Axel reached out to him and we got him on board. Wow. That's pretty great. Did you know that that was who you wanted to work with or was that something that Axel uh, put you in touch with? Well, Axel and I were batting names around of who we thought and he was, you know, at the top of both of our lists. And so, you know, we settled on him pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Pretty good. Now, as we're talking, the third issue just came out and it's a great book. It's we're, we're heading obviously towards something. It's got, there's several personal things going on as well as the bad guys. There's a group of bad guys that are really, they, they are a little reminiscent of Frank Miller type villains. They've got like a leg braces and arm braces on, I guess, to, to give them strength and agility and stuff like that. And he's got to kind of take those on. But my favorite part was where he is, he's got somebody and the guy is giving up and he's got like a staff or a, a wand or something and he's threatening the guy and he, he hits him like on the back of the head and the guy goes, ouch. And his response is, sorry. He goes, <laughs> well, yeah, he tells the guy, so Bob's trying to navigate this. So he's behind the mask. He looks all badass. He's got an asp, like you said, that's his mm -hmm. primary weapon. And he says to the guy, look, you know, you back down. I can either kill you or knock you unconscious. Which is it going to be? Mm -hmm. And the guy says, okay, okay, knock me unconscious. <laughs> but, you know, in comics and movies, it's very easy to knock someone unconscious. But in real life, it's not always the case. So Bob gives him a thwack on the back of the head. And the guy just says, ouch. Um, and, you know, doesn't fall unconscious. And then Bob <laughs> has to strike him again to get the job done. So there's these little moments that I, I, I use to sort of highlight the real world nature of you know, Bob straining to figure out how to function in this heightened and glorified role that he's taken on. It reminds me a little bit. I don't know if you ever saw the supernatural episode where they, all their luck or whatever it was, was taken away and they acted like real people. They suddenly got colds. They couldn't open locks in two seconds and stuff like that on a door and mm. stuff. And they struggled and struggled just to survive. And I thought that was, I was laughing. And that was what, the same thing I did with that. I laughed right out loud. I thought that was hilarious. That's clever. That's a clever idea. You know, when we can call attention to the conventions, you know, without thumbing our nose at them. Because I mean, mm -hmm. part of it is there, there's aspects of a lot of stuff in this comic, but I wrote it from a place of loving the genre. I love comics, right? I wrote mm -hmm. Moon Knight and Batman. Mm -hmm. I even snuck Spider-Man into a Moon Knight issue that I wrote. <laughs> and so, you know, we can tell when people are being kind of snide and cynical in their satire. And what I really wanted, and that's also why Teixeira was such a was such a good choice mm -hmm. is to have a comic that fulfills the expectations of somebody who wants a superhero, you know, a story that's got drive and that's got fun and that's got flair to it, mm -hmm. but that also has some self-awareness about the kinds of conventions that we all grew up with and know and love. Mm -hmm. I, I got a huge kick out of it. I guess I understand why it was called knighted because he becomes the character of the knight. But I got to use uh, – whenever I tell people about it, I always have to tell them, now there's a silent K in the front of it. You got to <laughs> Because otherwise they think it's night. Because 
something interesting that's going on at this time too. At the same time, when I'm talking to you, there are, uh, Batman, of course, is like the character now at DC, and they've got I don't know. I, I can't keep up with all the Batman books that they're they're putting out all of a sudden. But not only that, I noticed that other companies are doing Batman likes. Uh, there's one where there's like a vampire who's decided to go out and be a superhero at night. And I, I and then there's one, uh, I have to remember the name of it, where the, he's been killed and they hire a private eye to find out what happened to him. Hmm. And so there's all these different Batman kind of things going on. Of course, just for me, this is a, a great time because I love all this stuff. I'm happy to read it all, you know, and, and enjoy it. And that's how I, the very first cover that you did, of course, is reminiscent of The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. Which I loved. As soon as I saw that, I said, okay, Batman, I get it. This is going to be a good book. I can't wait. And I saw your name associated with it. And I, of course, I remember the great stuff you did in, in, for DC a while back. And I said, oh, this is going to be great. And I, I have not been in any way disappointed. In fact, I've been really thrilled with it. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. If you look at the other variant covers, there's a lot of different points of reference and hat tips to different conventions and images that we've known for a while. Mm-hmm. Did you? Was it helpful having written Batman before to do this? Oh yeah, and Moon Knight, you know, and and a lot of it. Um, it's certainly helpful. I mean, not just in in knowing the the tone and what you can do within panels. You know, a lot of it was also it was a big education for me, right? I came up, I crossed over to DC to Marvel first from com- mm-hmm. from novels. Mm-hmm. I did Full Killer, Punisher, uh, Moon Knight. I wrote an Ares. I wrote a couple Wolverines. Um, and then I switched to DC. And, it, you know, when I was through the course of this, I've worked with some of the best artists in the world. I mean, Jerome Opeña, I've worked with. Alex Ross did a cover for me. I had a run on Batman that went from David Finch to Ethan Van Skyver yeah. to Alex Maleve and finished up with Neil Adams. I mean, mm-hmm. so the amount that... I can learn with artists to see how they interpret, improve, accommodate the storytelling is amazing. And so, you know, a lot of it is a collaboration, but I'm also constantly learning when I can see, you know, when, if you have the benefit of working with artists at that level, I'm constantly learning and it expands my understanding of what comics can do and ways you can play with it in storytelling. And then of course the fundamentals, like I just, I love this sort of story. I love the story of, you know, an ordinary man, you know, that we're meeting on the worst day of his life and he's stepping up into extraordinary circumstances Mm -hmm. and has a lot of self doubt about whether he can do it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of, of human interest and fun to be had with that for me. Mm-hmm. So the first three are out, and I enjoyed all of them. I just think they're wonderful. But I, the the Alfred guy, the the, the Butler guy, he makes me laugh out loud as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. He's got funny things to say to him whenever he, he says to him. <laughs> I'm sorry, they're wonderful in jokes as far as you know a comic. He turns to to the the Butler and says, "Am I going to get a sidekick?" <laughs> and in his, and of course, the the butler's response was, I I, I hate, I don't know why I hate to spoil it because it was a funny line. I want people to be able to read it. And I just, ah, oh, gosh, it was. Just, and of course, he doesn't. The, the language is toned down a little bit, but you can see that <laughs> he's not necessarily happy with uh, this with Rob as he does stuff. So that adds a little humor to it, and it, it it's so much fun to see that. Because, you know, Batman is always very dark and very moody and, you know, to see a lighter tone to it, I think. Of course, you did that with Batman when you wrote him. There was a a sequence where I think uh, Commissioner Gordon talked to Batman and there was this wonderful little bit of silence that you threw into it. It's so funny you mentioned that. That's some of those are the are are the oft quoted stuff from my run on Batman where those little beats of humor where I took a convention that we knew and just turned mm-hmm. it on its head. Mm-hmm. And that moment with Commissioner Gordon is one where um it's exactly one of those moments that I, mm-hmm. you know, I took a little bit extra on the page to make a joke of something. Mm-hmm. Um and it's funny because, you know, fans really responded to that. They love that the humor aspect. And certainly mm-hmm. Knighted gives me room for a lot more of that, you know because I get to build my own world and my own characters and their own relationships. 
Because it's so enjoyable. I, I, I like a little lawyer tone. Batman's my guy, and I don't mind it being very dark a lot of the time, which it is. But it is fun to see the humor, because in real life, we don't, we're not dark and somber all the time. We, we enjoy a little humor now and again. Yeah. So to see that in these characters, it's quite a nice, it's a release and a relief to me to see hmm. that. So I really enjoy it. Well, you know, like I said, I have to, I have to give praise to my collaborator on it because I mean, some of these pages I get the pencils and I just start laughing. Like he, <laughs> he can portray such ridiculousness and he gets the humor right. And then he also can, can, you know, put together a really badass action sequence run, mm-hmm. you know? So he's, he's quite multi-talented and, you know, writers only as good as his artist in comics. Mm-hmm. Very true. Cause it, the visual aspect is so important when it comes to comics. I, the, the, the one thing I, I, I wanted to commend you on was the striking that right balance with that. Uh, my roommate sent me a, a, for New Year's, he sent me an image of Adam West dancing and flapping his cape and stuff around first and it's a happy new year on it and i said this is why i never liked adam west right yeah i I was too much i I just couldn't but see you have that balance just in there we get it within the scope where we can understand it and we can enjoy it it's not the silly, I, I understand Batman. They didn't, people didn't get Batman, and that's why they did what they did in the 60s. But you get the, you understand the character, but you see the humanity in him, which is so often I don't get in Batman. So that's why I enjoy your writing so much on this. It's so refreshing to see him be a human being. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, for me, everything starts with character. You know, it's like we've all read those books and been to the movies where you just feel like you're getting punched in the face with action, like the sort of nonstop action fatigue that happens. <laughs> and if you don't tie character in, in dialogue, in interactions and in relationships, if you don't tie the character into the action too, like the way that an action scene happens and your character engages with, it should be distinct to that character. Your character <laughs> shouldn't, Batman shouldn't, react the way that Wolverine does, right? Or the way Mm -hmm. that anyone else does. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really important aspect of it. And I always try and reach for that. You know, what is the thing unique to this character in his reply, in his response, in the way he fights, in the way that he approaches something, in the way that he thinks? Um, And so that's always front of mind for me. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's well done. I really, really enjoy it. And in a way, I'm sad. I've only got two more issues of night to, to go in this five issue miniseries. Do you have other stories that you'd like to deal with in this, in this universe? You know, I do. It's an amazing rich universe. And, you know, I, I've in, in launching, I'm on the creative council for AWA, uh, which mm. has been a lot of fun. And so we're always looking for opportunities to build out this universe and to make, you know, have events cross over, have characters take on a life of their own. So I hope that's what happens here. I'd like to see it. I'd, I'd enjoy seeing more of this character and, and seeing the the butler and the, all the other characters. I, I, I did mention the villains, and I want to talk a little bit about the villains. Where did the idea come for the, the, the guys who are dressed up in all these, you know, in this, this outfits that, that make it, that they have seemed to be stronger and faster? Did... It reminds me a little bit of the ones from Frank Miller, but it's not exactly. It's something different. Well, the world that Straczynski built out, he sort of built a lot of the the foundation and scaffolding for this universe. And there's an event called the Great Death, after which, you know, a certain number of people survive. And of those survivors, a certain percentage has superpowers. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking a lot about what would combat that and what type of you know, villain could reflect that. I mean, one of the things I love so much about Batman's rogues gallery is that each member of the rogues gallery reflects and foils and mirrors a different aspect of Batman. And so I I, I always want to have the pieces fit together in a way that are compelling and interesting. And so the grinders are people who survived the great death, but weren't granted any special powers And so instead of turning technology to augment themselves, they have implants, technological implants, they have computer screens in their forearms, they have, um, 
braces to empower them, you know, virtual spines clamped onto them. They have leg braces drilled into the bone to give them different powers. And so they've sought to sort of compete and use their their will and their technology and their know-how um, in order to, to feel that they are as empowered as the people with superpowers. And so that's who they're after. And that's who they view them. They view themselves as sort of authentic Americans who are protecting us against these inauthentic new people who aren't worthy of um, their power and the rights being granted to them. And I thought if I played with those themes, Mm -hmm. there's a sort of richness and a perspective from both sides that I could throw, uh, I could throw up against each other and, and find some pretty good spark points in conflict. Mm -hmm. It's going to be something to see how, how this all kind of resolves or even if it does resolve, because uh, it might not. Now, the, the one thing I wanted to bring up had to do with Rob, and one of the ways you made him really human was the fact that he's got a relative that's very ill, and they don't have the money to pay for his his the, the health care that he needs. And he has promised to make it possible that, that that'll be covered. And I don't have any idea how he's going to do that, but I'm cheering for him. I want him to be able to do it. I don't have any idea. You, you must have a, a, a trick up your sleeve. To, I don't know, man. I hope I figure it out in these last two books or it's all going to fall apart. <laughs> so you haven't written the last two books yet? <laughs> no, I have. I have. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I – see, again, this is one of those things that makes me pull for him. He commits to these things that we would love to make happen. And he – you know, the whole business with the, the, the poor guy who's – is not well, and you know he he wants to make it well, and that's part of his character is to reach out and and to right wrongs. So in a way, he's perfect for the costume in that way. I when I saw that, I thought, man, there there may not be a better person to be the knight than him. Well, and that's the question. You know, what are the skills and attributes and and characteristics we tend to elevate? You know, what are the ones we're elevating right now as a culture? Right. What are what are the things that are predominant? And so for him, I you know, it was important that he have a motivation that drives him, that drives Bob beyond just the theoretical notion that, you know, the night is dead. It's his fault and the city's going to tear itself apart. But also finishing and completing this mission is part of him figuring out what to do in a way that will help him help his his nephew, who he's very close with, Javi, Javier, um, who has, you know, leukemia. And mm-hmm. he needs more money than his family can afford. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's going to be something to see. Now, I, I, I'm just kind of curious about Rob. Is he going to stay within your book or is he going to show up in other AWA offerings? Well, I mean, the, one of the cool things about building a universe is you throw everyone into play, right? It's a bunch of action figures in a sandbox. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I've created him with Tex and he's there for the taking. So if Straczynski wants to pick him up and throw him into a plot, you know, if other another writer wants to come along and integrate him into another kind of story, these are all things that I'm open, I'm open to. What was important for me was to build out a new kind of superhero. I wanted to have a character who reflected a lot of the things that I think about and that to scratch out a kind of niche in the pantheon, you know, and the symbol on Bob's chest is the yin yang symbol, right? Mm-hmm. He's about integrating those two parts of himself, his, mm-hmm. his sort of conscious kind persona that sometimes lacks boundaries and lacks elements of toughness that would help him. And then that darker shadow within that his, that his, acting as the knight is going to push him to integrate into and be a part of himself. And so there's a really interesting little interplay between those two parts that I thought lends itself to other stories. Okay. As nice as it would be to see other people do it, I'd still rather see you write this character. <laughs> well, in the I might perhaps be back for more. So we'll see. I hope so. I hope the sales are enough to warrant doing this and maybe it'll be the, the knighted universe. Mm-hmm. On some levels, because you've created this this wonderful, uh, you know, and world building is is something I always respect. And you have maybe within the whole Resistance universe, you've built this knighted world in there, and it works so well, and it's so perfect for the storytelling that I, I want to see a lot more of this. I, you know, I, I I enjoy the cape that he's got. He's got like a sort of a fragmented cape. 
Uh-huh. That's there. He's got all kinds of the, the, everything just works together so perfectly in this. And I, I want to see more of it. And I, I would like to see your, I mean, yes, I would like to see other people do it, but I would like to see more of what you have in mind. So I'm hoping AWA, uh, you, of course, you being on uh, in a place of uh, position of somewhat of advising them, you might say, hey, I've got some more here. Yeah, I mean, well, thank you. You know, it's it takes a lot to get a new character and kind of, you know, elbow elbow your way onto the shelves. And I've been really grateful. You know, AWA did a great job putting this all together. I, you know, I have a great artist. Sales have been really strong. The critical response has been has been quite good. And you know, it's really nice. It's nice to get something off. You know, the the, the blinking cursor and the blank page to kind of type something up and to have it be received so well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure that there's more for, um, there's more for Bob down the line. Oh, good. I hope so. And I hope that there's more of you coming to, to get Bob. <laughs> I hope that's what I'd like to see. Cause it, it's so good and so interesting. Cause like I said, there's other books that are out there that are sort of running in the same lane, but this is the one that stands out to me that I really, really like the best. Because it's, like I said, the humanity, the, the, the thoughtfulness that's going into the stories and the creation of the world around him and the character. It's, it's as much as I like the other ones. I don't want to cut the other ones down. This one is the one that I want to see a lot more of. So I, I hope this is only knighted one. Maybe we'll have more knighted next time around or something. Well, like thank you. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great lineup, you know, and every book's got a, a good little piece of it, but you know, you're a Batman guy like me, Batman's my <laughs> favorite character. So yeah, I'm glad I, I'm glad I, you know, hit you in a sweet spot with this one. Well, it's just excellent. I just, I, I I'm going to keep saying that because it's just, I was so enamored with it. And maybe it's because I read this one first that the other ones weren't quite up to the same thing because this one set a high standard for me, for the other books that are what I call Batman alikes. But uh, mm. this is so, it's the, uh, well, I, I hope the other ones are reading this one so they can see how it should be done. <laughs> It'd be great to see, because I would love to see a lot more of all mm. this. So, well, I, I've got to ask you though, as as a comic book guy and a Batman guy, do you keep up with the comics that are coming out these days, or because you're writing and stuff like that, would that kind of get in the way of creating comics? Look, I love reading. You know, there's a lot of writers who say that they never read when they're writing because they're worried that their tone will get infected. Um, and you know, I'm not that way. I mean, I'm a writer in large part because I love reading so much. So I'm always reading, you know, I'm always looking at stuff and I tend to go through phases with, with graphic novels and comics. Like I'll wait a while and then I'll go into my local shop and say, you know, and just load up on a whole bunch and play catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I've been doing. Um, you know, and you know, there's a lot of novels to catch up on. I do screenwriting too. So I'm trying to stay up on movies. We're in award season right now. So I'm watching a lot of screeners, um, for different films. And, you know, so there's, there's a lot to keep up with. And the aim is always to, to make sure that it's connected with why I started doing this, you know, in the first place, I never want to be like reading and catching up where it feels like research or an obligation. It's always important that I'm, that I'm kind of dipping into everything from that place of joy that I had as a, as a seventh grader who got obsessed with the Punisher. I mean, that was the start of it for me. See, I'm going to ask you something. If you don't want to answer it, I'll understand. Um, I mentioned that right now DC is uh, is wild with Batman. Everything in the world they're doing Batman, Batman, Batman. Do you ever dip into the pool? Because I know some writers say, I've done my bit with the character. I don't necessarily want to see what other people do. I Do you ever take a, a look into the Batman pool and see what's going on over there? Oh, sure. You know, I, I would, if, you know, if somebody recommends something is, is really new or fresh, I would, I would happily pick it up. I mean, I think part of it was after I wrote for Marvel and DC, I had a great run and both companies treated me very well. I mean, I had wonderful editors uh, at both places and I was coming out of novels and I had a really great run with both companies. And then I walked away in part from writing comics because I felt like I'd I'd written all my favorite characters. And the only thing to get me back would be to do something creator owned. Um, You know, and I just waited. And then of course this sort of perfect opportunity 
arose. And so I've been doing it, which has been great. Um, and it's a, it's a wonderful way to re-enter. Um, but that said, I haven't left my passion for those stories and comics and graphic novels and movies behind. And so, you know, I'm always happy to kind of go back and, and revisit them. I just don't think I'll be doing so as a creator or as a, or as a writer. Okay. Because I still recommend your Penguin series to people. Oh, thank you. I'm very proud of that one. That's one of my... That was so much fun to write. And I just felt like that whole story fell into my head, almost fully formed. You know, it was funny when I did that DC, it was my first DC project and they'd offered me, you know, to kind of come over and do whatever, not whatever I wanted to do with DC, but there was a lot of options on the table. And I said, look, you know, the, I love the penguin because he's the only sane member of Batman's rogues gallery, right? And the contrast him and Batman so interesting to me because Penguins, if you're the penguin, Batman's just a bully. He's tall, mm-hmm. he's good looking, he's lean. And I always wanted him to be taken more seriously. You know, you mentioned Adam West, and the mm-hmm. penguin, in a lot of ways, had to be resuscitated from that being kind of comedically sidelined from that series. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I wanted, I want to do the killing joke, but for the penguin, I want to make him real. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was inspired in part by a one shot Jason Aaron did that was, that was wonderful. But I, I just had a whole story and to their credit, DC, let me do it. My editor over there was Mike Martz, uh, who is a great editor. And, and, um, and they said, sure, you know, go ahead, you can do it. Um, and it was great. And I still remember there was a poll asking which new series, this was around the time the new 52 was launching, right? So which new 52 series fans were most looking forward to. And I remember Penguin got like 0.0013% of the vote. Like nobody (laughs) wanted an origin story of the Penguin. And I have my favorite anonymous internet comment of all time that somebody wrote in, I'm so glad Hurwitz's mom voted for him. Um, And what was funny is it came out and as with everything, you know, the readers, the readers engaged and loved it and the critics engaged and, you know, they found it worthwhile and it kind of took over from there because enthusiasm and word of mouth is really the coin of the realm. As you know, that's why like podcasts like this are so they're important. They hold an important place in the ecosystem because it's how people find out, especially about less obvious books. Mm-hmm. And so it was really great. And it taught me, you know, don't, don't write the thing that you think will be the biggest commercial success. Don't write the thing that's the biggest grab you know, write the thing that you have to write. And I've, I've always abided that, you know, and with Penguin, it really worked out. It really opened the door. Then they came back and said, you know, can you do a monthly? And I said, well, look, I'm a novelist. I don't doing a monthly is really hard for me. The only way I'd consider it is if it was Batman. And if David Finch would be my artist, because Finch, you know, at the time and, you know, and still is, is, you know, one of, if not my favorite artists. And they said, well, you know, Finch is on the dark night. He just, he was writing and drawing and, you know, he wants a writer for it and it's open. It was like this sort of perfect storm. And so I, I crossed over and I wrote Batman for a couple of years and it was, it was just a spectacular experience. Um, you know, and then by the time I got through, I vented a lot of the villains for the new 52 Finch and I did Scarecrow Van Skyver and I did Mad Hatter Maleev and I did Clayface. I mean, we just, we moved through them. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there was just one day where I felt like I was done. Like I'd done, I, I, I explored all of these worlds in a way. And I was so glad to have the opportunity to do all that, but I wanted to kind of move back into film TV and, and, and novels a bit more unless I could build my own thing. And so Nighted has been percolating, you know, for years um, in the back of my head is just the story that I felt like could give a new spin to this area code of comics that so many people know and love. Mm-hmm. Well, it's great as it is to uh, tackle all the, the Batman rogues gallery. I always wondered if there was a character you wanted to create for Batman to face, uh, you know, somebody new because, uh, you know, uh, John Byrne is known for creating magpie and magpies all over the place now. And I just wondered if there was another, if you had in somebody in mind that you would have liked to have done in that. That's, it's an interesting question. I mean, I created a, some new characters for Marvel. I'm trying to think if I did for DC. I mean, in DC, I think part of what happened was New 52 was happening. And it was this great opportunity to reboot a lot of the rogues. And so 
I had such a def- such a definitive take or not definitive, such a, a clear take in my mind of Penguin, of Scarecrow, mm-hmm. of Mad Hatter, of Clayface, of all these characters. Mm-hmm. And it really felt like being handed the keys to the kingdom in a way because mm-hmm. the new 52 is happening to say, mm-hmm. how do I reinvent them and make them live and breathe in a way that's contemporary and feels real and feels grounded and feels gritty. And so my emphasis at DC was much more about that, I would say. Okay. Okay. Cause I, I'm always interested. I always think one of the greatest legacies you can leave is if you create a villain or, or a character that continues on after you, uh, you know, that you know what's funny. I wrote an assassin for fool killer I did two limiteds of Fool Killer called Sickle Moon. That's one of my favorites. I mean, it was it was a smaller book, Fool Killer. Lam Medina did some of the art on that for me. And I mean, and I created this little scrawny assassin character who was a lot of fun. And had I continued in Fool Killer, I think I would have put him into more and more. But he's one of these, he's kind of tucked away in that first uh, Fool Killer arc for anyone who wants to look for a weird, different kind of villain. So I like that. It's something fun for me because Penguin to me has always been sort of a laugh. And That's right. the, the way that you brought him, he was a serious problem. Uh, you know, the way that he made sure people did his, followed his orders was scary. And yeah, whole, I wanted to make him a menace. He was, Oh my gosh. The first time in my life, I was actually scared of him. Hmm. You know, it was really because I've always looked at him. He's been kind of, you know, a little comedic. And then he was in charge of the iceberg uh, uh, club or whatever. And all that to me didn't make me worry about him. But with your story, (laughs) I was literally, I can understand why people would be terrified of him. And I was. So very well done. I I wish they'd still do some. I don't see much of that anymore in the character i wish they would yeah i mean it'd be fun for people to pick up that version i mentioned that jason aaron did a wonderful one shot with him in Mm -hmm. i forget what it was called like joker's gallery or something it had Mm -hmm. a um i forget what it's in but it's one to look for um Mm -hmm. that you'd like a lot i think Like I said, I still recommend that because that is a wonderful penguin, a a reimagining of the penguin that uh, makes him, he he belongs in the Batman universe that way. So that's Mm. what I I really liked. So there's one thing I want to ask you before I let you go. I was reading your bio and I came across this and I mentioned I was going to bring this up to you. It says in your long bio, it says, additionally, Greg is actively working to end polarization in politics and on college campuses. To that end, he's produced several hundred commercials, which got over a hundred million views on digital and TV platforms. And you have taken on a major challenge as far as I'm concerned that I, 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 I wish you success with that. Because right now it feels like every election is the most important election of our life. If if the one party loses, it's the end of the world as we know it, and all this stuff's going on. And here you are tackling that, which is a, I think you know when I was growing up, I you we would have elections. The party that lost would lick their wounds and and get ready for the next election. And we didn't worry about that. It's so different now, and I, I'm so glad to see that you're kind of. You're working on that. What would you like to, to tell people about that? Hmm. Well, you know, a lot of what I did was to was to try to reframe. I, I'm I come from a liberal background myself, um, and what I've tried to do is to reframe democratic arguments um, or liberal arguments in ways that are fair play engagements with people who think differently. And in order to do that, I have a lot of conversations with people across the aisle, you know, whether it's senators, congresspeople, thought leaders, podcasters, to really figure out, you know, where are potential points of, of meeting, um, where are ways to get things done, where are ways to sidestep ideology and politics and push through things for Americans and communities that are suffering um, and that need help. Um, and a lot of it for me also was... You know, I myself was not a fan of of President Trump when he was elected. And so some of this was for me to make efforts to, to, to for Democrats to figure out how to talk to libertarians and Republicans and evangelical voters in a way 
that would court their vote and Latino voters, right? Like there's a lot of voters that, that, that skew in different directions. Um, and a lot of that comes from having respect for voters and having respect for people with different value sets and thought structures, people who approach the world in different ways. I've done some across the aisle events. Um, you know, I did one where we took 10 democratic congressmen and 10 Republicans and, you know, just talked about, you know, sat down for dinner and, you know, talked about possible points uh, of overlap, whether that's rural health care, whether that's infrastructure, you know, even if things are in this terrible polarized state, are there still things we can get done and push through? Um, and so, you know, I've been engaged with that. And it's, it's really important to me because I think that when we have a balance between true liberal and true conservative values, that everything uh, can function better, a culture functions better, everyone's, everyone's not at each other's throat all the time. Um, and so while I certainly have personal preferences that tilt, you know, center left um, and have done a great deal of work in that direction, the uber goal that I have is to decrease polarization and um, the kind of, of hatred and the kind of gridlock um, and try and get everybody to step back from these stakes that feel increasingly terrifying. Well, I, I've got to tell you a real quick story that changed my view of politics forever. I lived in the Washington, D.C. area, and I had watched the news during the day, and I remember the Democrat, but I don't remember the Republican. Sam Nunn was arguing with the Republican, and the two of them were ah, just calling each other names and doing all kind of stuff, and how dare you, and you listen on the other. And then that night, I had uh, I was meeting with a group down in downtown D.C., and I was standing outside waiting for the group to get there, when a, a limousine pulled up, and who got out of the limousine but Sam Nunn and the Republican guy? And they're laughing and slapping each other on the back. Oh, how's that? That's happening. And in they go to eat. And I was just like looking at them going, wait a second. You guys were <laughs> you were mortal enemies just a few hours ago. And here you are having to go. The next day, they're right back at it again. Uh, and I, I, I thought, you know, maybe we shouldn't take the politics thing quite so seriously if that's the way that they view it. They, they go in there and when the time is right, they go in and fuss with each other. But then when that's done, they're friends. Well, and there's a lot, you know, that is how it should be. There should be good faith engagement from both sides. And I think we've lost a lot of that. There's a lot of reasons for that. Obviously social media where we can, you know, create our own, information funnels, right? Mm -hmm. Where we can unlike anyone we don't like, we can not engage with viewpoints that we don't like. But some of it too is even, you know, under Newt Gingrich, you know, he was asking Congress people to spend a lot more time in their districts than in DC. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of lost common overlap in things that were not political, right? It used to be that Congress people and senators had their kids in Little League together. People might go to the same church or mosque or synagogue, People were eating in the same restaurants. There was a lot more of an integrated society where there was constant overlap. And of course, all those overlap are occasions to see people in different roles. You see them as brothers, as parents, people who have kids, people who are struggling. You know how people's health is. And as we keep sort of isolating into these information bubbles, we tend to forget that. And then, you know, and as we continue to gerrymander districts where the politicians are representing these amoeba-shaped blobs of you know, common, commonly people with common sets of values. And that's all that they need to worry about. Um, you know, there's a lot of forces that are driving against that. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, we want, we want our best and brightest voices empowered on both sides. And that means people who have respect and regard for people, no matter how they think and what value structure they have, assuming that it's not dangerously radicalized, you know, and to stop yeah. the tendencies that we have that are pushing that kind of polarization. Yeah, the humanity thing again. Uh, we lose that sometimes. Uh, we look at the the people who we disagree with as uh, they're dangerous. They're they're evil, you know. And, and I'm always kind of like, uh, if we saw them, uh, when, not when they're arguing politics, we would. I think we'd look a lot more f kindly on those people. And I think that would take a lot of the fire out of this. And I always said politics has a lot of, of, uh, you know, it's just because there's a lot of light doesn't mean a lot of fire doesn't necessarily mean there's a lot of light 
Right. Well, and it's become such a team sport, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, so, you know, look, there, there's the stakes are pretty high right now. And so mm-hmm. I think it's important that we, we try and get different people engaged in different ways. And that's sort of my Uber aim. Well, much success with that. I, I, I hope you're successful. Thank you. <laughs> we certainly need it. Yeah. And more success for Knighted, which comes out from AWA Studios. Be sure to let your store know that you're, you want to. Are, are they going to collect that into a trade by any chance? Yes. Okay. So if you've missed on the first three issues, now you can go digital. You can go to Comixology or something, and you can find them that way if you want to catch up. Or you can get, ask your, your store to see if they can order them. Or wait, wait for the trade. Whatever way, I don't miss this book because it's a terrific book. And Greg, I, I hope you get a lot more knighted in the years to come because wow. it's such an enjoyable book. Thank you so much. And I appreciate all the, you know, the support. I'm glad you loved it. It was, it was a blast. I mean, it was just so much fun to create. And, you know, I'm excited after all these years that I can get it out and into the, the hands of readers. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy. And I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. And that's it for this week. Be back next time. We'll have another great interview with another terrific comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics.